So I, I've been pacing for the last couple hours, thinking about how to start this episode. And I think in order for us to give it context, I think it's time to do a little review of this journey and to share with, with my audience here and advisors and teams at Mably and Prohabits to share with you what I've discovered, but it comes through the lens of whom I've met. The discoveries are the people that I've met on this journey. And um, I'm going to share, this is the first time I'm doing this. I'm going to share my screen. This is um, a draft of a new page on ffpi.com for the podcast. And uh, before we dive in with Jennifer, who's absolutely amazing, I'll ask her to turn on her camera once I finish this the context. And we're going to talk about common sense. Why isn't common sense common action if brand indeed is customer experience plus employee experience? But the folks that I'm going to introduce you to are the innovators. These are the forward thinkers. I mean, it takes courage to get on the podcast. I know it takes courage for me every single time. And to take on really audacious questions, like these are far-reaching questions. But what started as a podcast, from what I can see, it's a thesis for now. This isn't validated yet. This is a process of validation. I'm sharing signals. Um, the thesis is it's a new emerging market. Okay? And the market will be created to embrace the pressure to consumerize the employee experience. And the first time I heard the words consumerize, it felt off for me until I looked at the definition. And uh, it's the reorientation, right? Products and services. Think about it as the reorientation of the employee experience to focus on the end user as a human, as an individual, as opposed to the organization, right? When we're sending out an email that goes out to 10,000 talking about the values of the organization, is it the same communication to the entire 10,000? Or are we taking the approach of where they are, meeting them where they are? I think Gardner absolutely nailed it. They said consumerization can be embraced, must be dealt with, but it cannot be stopped. It's too late. Our minds are being rewired for the easier, for the lighter touch points that are m understand us pretty well. It's been seven months, 8,000 liters, hundreds of conversations, 50 episodes, right, 50 episodes. And as we know, the fusion of innovation, we're meeting the innovators, the 2.5%. In fact, in two weeks, we're starting a massive social media push in order to discover what well, we estimate 900 innovators. How many of them can we find who see what we see? The guests that I've selected to showcase on this page, they're the innovators in this emerging market. They are the inspiration, the validation. I mean, these are the champions. They're going to guide us forward. And they range in terms of where they sit in the organization. Um, we've had the chief caregiver officer, John, talk about improving access to caregivers in the community by consumerizing the employee experience, by thinking about when, when folks have babies and, you know, why do they need to call in? Why don't we enroll, auto-enroll them, make the world easier? We spoke to a chief information security officer, consumerizing cybersecurity. We've connected with HR leader at PayPal. That was a moment of serendipity. She started laughing, said, consumers, let me show you how I'm thinking about it. Consumerize all of HR products. David was the first one head of talent and spirit who brought this into our world. Uh, Erica, recently, actually last week from ZipRecruiter, talked about consumerizing performance management, the employee experience. We can look at it from onboarding, performance, L&D. There's so many different aspects. Um, and then two months ago, 
went after the CMO function because it seems like who would know more about consumerization than the CMOs? And we approached it from a data perspective. We looked for CMOs that have a connection to the employee experience. And um, we are now deep in discussions with CMOs because it's mind-blowing. It's absolutely mind-blowing. Um, we have a Bennett uh, we published last week where he he's already involved in a number of aspects of the employee experience from running events to producing videos. Um, but I want to talk about Jennifer who once we got on that phone call and uh, she shared her insights and the connection that she sees between customer experience and employee experience. It was truly uncanny and I'll ask Jennifer to, to bring her camera on. Um, she said, ladies and gentlemen, right? Ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. I don't, for whatever reason, it's been kind of like almost an echo in, in my mind since that conversation. But Jennifer, first, welcome. It was, I'm so excited to have you on. And um, ladies ser and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen, why did you bring that up in, a con in the context of employee experience and customer experience? Well, first off, Adam, thanks so much for having me on, and it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you and coming to the conclusion that we both have a lot of the same shared thoughts. Um, but I brought up the line, ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen, because it is the credo at the Ritz-Carlton. And what that means is, is that we treated our employees as ladies and gentlemen, and that in turn is how they treated the guest. So if you respect your employees, they in turn will turn around and respect the guests. Um, at, at the Ritz-Carlton, employees are empowered to make things right. Um, the hotel staff is, is able to spend money to ensure that a guest experience is a positive experience. And I think that shows the ultimate trust. And I, you know, the other thing I'll say is, is that every employee really is a brand ambassador and they have the ability to to improve things, to make things right, to make decisions, to make people feel comfortable, et cetera. And in the hotel environment, it's the hospitality, it's hospitality, that's the category. And it's everybody's job. It should be everybody's job in the hospitality industry um, and also the restaurant industry to make people feel comfortable. And so if you empower your employees to take those steps, the rewards are tremendous. And well, Jennifer, when you speak speak about Ritz-Carlton, I, I can sense the passion too. Um, what's your connection, if you could share with the audience your participation with the, especially from the Leadership Institute perspective? Sure, so many years ago, um, I worked on the Ritz-Carlton brand. Um, Marriott had acquired Renaissance Hotels and I was the head of marketing for Renaissance Hotels. And when I joined Marriott, I became the SVP of global brand management for all of the brands in the portfolio. I personally felt a, a connection to the Ritz-Carlton because of the, of the service platform, and I worked on literally defining um, every brand element. So for example, um, fresh flowers in the hotel versus not having fresh flowers in the hotel. So when we created the portfolio and we created standards, we were creating standards in a portfolio that included brands like the Ritz-Carlton and Bulgari hotels, but also Fairfield and Courtyard. So, you know, you can say a room is a room is a room, it's a place to sleep, but, you know, if you have double-ply toilet paper and um, you have uh, guest requirements for a jacket in the dining room, 
and you have fresh flowers throughout, it's a very different experience than entering a hotel room where you have one guest towel, one ply toilet paper, and fake flowers throughout. So it was, um, it was a way to differentiate the brands and to help position the brands, but also it gives consumers um, a way to identify the type of experience that they want to have. Hospitality is really interesting and it's dynamic and, and, and maybe not surprising why there is a deeper connection between CX and EX in that world already. Because exactly. when we think about the, you know, the, the impact of the customer experience on the actions of the employees as opposed to selling a car or selling a phone or maybe certain other industries, it's a pre, the employees make it or break it. Like literally you arrive at a, at a hotel, like how you're met the lobby, the, the room condition, you know, the lines or no lines, you walk away and you make that the decision to stay in, a, in, in that hotel, another hotel based on that experience. That, that's exactly right. I mean, Gallup had, had a poll and it was a five-question survey that Ritz-Carlton used, used to implement. They probably still do. But the last question, um, actually it was called the CE 1111 questions, can you imagine a world without Ritz-Carlton? And the objective for us in marketing was to have every guest say, I cannot imagine a world without Ritz-Carlton. I mean, can you imagine that people couldn't imagine a world without Ritz-Carlton, that they couldn't mm. stay at a Four Seasons, that they couldn't stay at another hotel? But the reality is if they had a choice to choose our brand, the Ritz-Carlton, over and over again um, was very powerful. Um, and I will tell you that a lot of it really was in the training, and I'll give you a, a great example. So when, when you understand the psychographic profile of a Ritz-Carlton guest, a Ritz-Carlton guest wants to be recognized, right? They worked hard their whole life to be able to get to stay at a Ritz-Carlton. And so when they arrive, they want to be recognized. And so one of the things that we actually taught was that when a cab pulls up or a limo pulls up, the bellman walks out, touches the trunk. The trunk is opened, he pulls out the bag. First thing he does is he looks at the luggage tag and he sees that it's Miss Deutsch from Cleveland, Ohio. And so then he opens up the door and what he says is, Miss Deutsch, welcome to the Ritz-Carlton in Atlanta. Hope your trip from Cleveland was great. My reaction is, that's unbelievable. How did he know that I came from Cleveland? And how did he know what my name was? Meanwhile, he has an earpiece and he's communicating to the front desk that Jennifer Deutsch just arrived from Cleveland, Ohio. She's gonna be checking in in a moment. He takes my bag, glides me to the front desk and the front desk clerk says, welcome Miss Deutsch to the Ritz-Carlton Atlanta. How was your trip in from Cleveland? And she's already got everything pulled up. And all of a sudden, I feel recognized. I feel at home. And I feel like, wow, they really have their act together. That's CX. That's the customer experience. But guess what? That's EX as well. Because how good does that bellman feel when I look at him and say, oh my God, Walter, you're amazing. Thank you for that warm welcome. And then Walter takes me and introduces me to Amanda at the front desk. And I say, Amanda, thank you for that warm welcome. That was incredible. That was teamwork. The bellman working with the front desk clerk to make the introduction so that I experienced a warm welcome. And what it takes to create that 
customer experience on the employee experience side touches the entire employee experience, the onboarding, the right. learning and develop, the training, the man, the leadership development, the wellness, the lear all aspects you have to get right to create that environment. So what I'd like to do now, Jennifer, is um, share a little bit of me getting smacked around by connecting those two as objections from the market. And uh, I want to talk us through it briefly. I don't want to spend much time. I don't think the folks that are listening, they are the innovators, but I'd like them to be prepared for someone who says the following to them. The CMO already has too much on their plate externally. They're focused on revenue and growth. They don't have the time. They don't have the time to get involved with the employee experience. Outside, we're not talking hospitality. Let's put ourselves into you know, any other industry. How would you respond? Well, I think it's very short-sighted because the reality is, is that every brand should also have an internal brand, and an employer brand. And the employer brand is for the employees, but it's a reflection of the external brand. So it should be consistent, and it honestly should be, um, it should ensure that the employee has the experience that the customers have. Because as I said earlier, every employee is a brand ambassador. So A, they need to be warmly welcomed to the organization. They need to understand what the organization does, which means that they need to be onboarded um, correctly. I would even go so far as to say that I think the recruiting process is part of the EX. So when the recruiter reaches out, they should be explaining the employer brand because you're selling. Why should you join this company? Why should you join my company? So at Park Place Technologies, where I'm the part, where I'm the chief marketing officer today, we talk to recruiters on explaining the benefits of joining our company. Not only the benefits, the financial benefits, but the benefits to do well, to perform well, that we're going to give you the tools, and we're going to give you the tools so that you can have a successful career. But this isn't just a one-stop for a job, that we're going to career path you so that you can grow within this organization and achieve your objectives and, and be the best that you can be. And then someone may say, and so give me an example. So I, I'll tell you that in the recruiting process, I've spoken to our recruiters and shared with them that they need to share with all sales people applying for a job, the marketing tech stack that we implement. Because that marketing tech stack is going to be used to help generate leads for salespeople which means that they're going to be more successful, they're going to sell more, and they're going to make more money. So if we don't tell them, we don't know if they're going to ask. And I meet with every single sales class that we bring in, and I say, how many of you asked what the marketing tech stack was when you applied? Never does anybody raise their hand. And I said, now, do you understand that that should be a question moving forward for any job, any sales position, you apply for because we have technology that can help support salespeople really be extremely successful and enable them to achieve beyond their wildest dreams. Common sense is in common action. So we're going to double click further on that, Jennifer. Um, sure. You know, I think about the days when there was a customer and a salesperson and then the marketer was introduced into the equation and the marketer became a bigger, played a bigger role, and the marketer understood that there is value to the feeling, creating a feeling, a connection to the brand. 
right? And then they understood the importance of all the touch points, right? Sales, we didn't ask sales to think like marketers. Marketers became key in that relationship. As I think about the employee and HR, I begin to wonder, because some of the pushback that I'm receiving is also in light of, you know, how, why don't we just have the, you know, the HR team focused on the employee experience think like marketers, which was really my, my thesis about a year ago when I started down this path. When our, our technology delivering nudges, we began to talk to companies in the HR side, look at the nudges, look at smart, think like a marketer. We even had presentations, think like a marketer. I don't think that's possible. I don't think we asked the salespeople to think like marketers. Jennifer, what do you think is the role of the CMO? I think the role of the CMO cuts across almost every department. Um, and I can tell you that we, we literally do support every department from M&A to, um, to HR, et cetera. So even from an M&A perspective, we create materials so that when the M&A team goes out to identify companies to buy, it's not a slam dunk that someone wants to sell to us. And you know there are, there are times when the team that we're buying or the company that we're buying want to join our organization. And by the way, we don't want to lose that historical value. So we're making a case for someone to actually sell their company to us. And so in that case, we talk about all the benefits, how we're different, why we're different, why we're better, and what the culture and what the environment is. And you know, we, we talked about, we literally talked about the warm welcome from a Ritz-Carlton. And what I learned from the hospitality industry is that it's a warm welcome and a fond farewell because we live in a world that is extremely connected. And as I say to my kids, it's, it's a long life in a small world. You're going to see these people over and over again. And so you always have to tell the truth, be honest, be consistent, and be nice. And so, you know, part of this, you know, part of this is for your employees being nice, but also giving them the tools to be successful. So I view this as one and the same, and everything needs to be consistent. So from a marketing perspective, consistency is imperative. Our website, everything from our website to our portal, portal our customer portal, our employee portal, all of that has the same look, the same feel. We have brand guidelines, we have language guides, so we're saying the same thing, often using the same words, so that people understand the message and they clearly can communicate what we do, who we are, and what the benefits are. Absolutely love it. So let's live up to the audacious questions that we take on. I'm, I'm going to go all in. You know, you, If you were the, the supreme leader, kind of looking into our future and the future role of the CMO, and um, we're not grounded by the technologies. Let's say technologies evolve or catch up. You know, it's, uh, it's a new frontier, this idea to consumerize the employee experience for the marketer to, to play a role between employee and HR the way they do between customer and sales, right? And it's unifying the brand. Can you walk through where you see the CMO play that role and let's talk about things like data and insights let's talk about publications being produced internally i want to share with an audience what you do i i was my i was blown away but jennifer let's walk through it what are the big buckets that the cmo sure. will take on so i i think that um 
the CMO typically is responsible for the customer experience. So CX, PX, partner experience, and UX user experience. I think the employee experience is a very similar journey because the journey in the employee experience starts at the point of recruitment. So you recruit them, you bring them in, you hire them, and then, then it's all about retention. So there's communication, there's experiences, et cetera. So some of the things that we do at Park Place to um, drive retention and engagement uh, is ongoing transparent communication globally. So we have 2,300 employees. We have a daily newspaper called Wired. And when you're talking about metrics, we measure how many people are on on a daily basis, what articles they're looking at, what are they reading, um, how long are they staying on. And um, we actually do something else. And we instituted a program called It Pays to Read. And so when people read, we actually ask them to leave comments. So to say what they think about the article that we've written about International Women's Day, about an acquisition we made, et cetera. And every week, we actually choose a winner, someone who has posted a comment, and we actually send them $50 in Motivosity bucks. And then we put it up on Wired, who the weekly winner was. And so everybody sees that John Smith read, made a comment, and he's the lucky winner of $50. So did it pays to read drive engagement? The answer to that is yes. Do we have good engagement? The answer is yes. We have a full-time person who writes articles, shares images. This is like reading the Wall Street Journal at Park Place Technologies, everything that's going on. So we have um, a segment on humor, we have from the desk of, we have quarterly updates from our CEO. But aside from that, aside from our publication, we have quarterly town halls. And guess what? We are open, we share our numbers because we have profit share with our employees. And that matters, right? How's it going this year? After the first quarter? Well, April 27th is our next town hall. April 27th, we will share how the first quarter has gone. We will also share what profit share was all about in March. So how much money went back to the employees. So when we actually review numbers, everybody's engaged because they know that that's going to be related to their profit share. So yes, we can, we can measure engagement. We can measure uh, all kinds of things um, on the publications that we have, but also um, from attendance. And I should also share that before any town hall, we send out a survey asking for questions that our CEO will address at the town hall. And anything that he doesn't address, we write the answers and publish it on Wired. After the town hall, we send out a survey. Did it meet your satisfaction? How was it? What else should be included? Sometimes at these town halls, um, well, we always have watch parties and we generally theme the watch parties. So the last watch party we had was a movie theme. So all over the world, people ate popcorn and had candy that was theater size, uh, drinks, etc. So it was a fun event. It build, um, built camaraderie. Everybody gets together. And it's a good time, but it's also very informative and clearly demonstrates that we have transparent communication. Excellent examples. I want to go back to the Wired. Sure. Um, for the t internal publication. And the reason I want to go there is because I've been, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, 
there's so much to communicate internally. How would we do that? How would we maintain the, the, the culture, especially for organizations where there's virtual aspects, but even if they're not, we don't see folks every day. I mean, like, how do you, how do you create it? And the only way is to think about what catches our attention as customers. And it's publications, it's humor, it's real life stories, it's, it's things that we can bring internally. So then I started thinking, if an HR leader wanted to create one, do they even know how to ask for a budget to go figure this out or how to justify its value? with the yeah, KPIs I, and measurements. Go ahead. Look, in, in our case, marketing built the whole thing. Marketing built the whole thing. We ran it past HR, but you know, we have experience in, in building portals and building websites and wireframing, et cetera. So, and that's not something that the HR leaders had. I mean, the, you know, what we share on Wired, a portion of it, honestly, is, is HR related. But our publication, Wired, is really a combination of uh, People Magazine, The Wall Street Journal, and Vanity Fair, right? And we also share videos, we share customer comments, we share feedback. This is truly um, a daily publication. Every single day there's new content. And, and I've seen that in a few organizations that are part of the innovators in the space. I, we even talked with Bennett last week. They have a video production team and they're creating, they are running TV programming across their offices. Uh, what I'm curious about, Jennifer, is that if I go back to my analogy of uh, customer and sales, right? And uh, in between, marketing runs almost all touch points. I don't know if it's all touch points, they're probably CRM. There's certain things they don't touch or maybe they're involved from a visual perspective. If we now transpose that into employee experience in HR, we talked about internal communications. We talked about recruiting. We talked about onboarding. Are we thinking that this layer would go into performance management, um, wellness, learning and development? Are we saying that we touch every employee experience touch point through the lens of marketing? Well, I can tell you that our learning and development program was named and branded by the marketing team. That every single program that's put out is in a template that we put together so that there's consistency from a branding perspective. We are not creating all of the content. We're probably only creating some of the content, but we've had our fingerprints on all of it. Um, the, the concept of identifying hypos um, came up but when you identify hypos, you need to have a learning and development program so that your high potential people stay. That's something that marketing actually went to bat for, fought for, and got the budget for, and then literally turned it over to HR. And HR runs that program. But again, all the communication, all the pieces and parts are branded. Um, and so we assist with that. Um, I can tell you that we just launched uh, an employee portal, a benefits portal, and we did the same thing. So we created, we helped with some of the wireframing, all the visuals, the content. So HR wrote the copy, we edited the copy so that it was in brand standards. Um, we were given white pages, we took it and turned it into the, into the branded format. But then, how do you announce that you actually have it? Which is then internal communications, right? So we have lots of different tools for internal communication. So we talked about um, Wired. 
Um, but we also have something which is called a root system. So in every office across the globe, we have screens that show messaging. So the messaging is, you know, today we just launched the wellness portal. Check it out, right? Today we have Lieutenant Colonel so-and-so from the Navy coming in for a tour. Please welcome Lieutenant Colonel so people know what's going in. We have, we control it. We control these global screens, so screens that are in the UK, Singapore, Brazil, uh, all over the world, out of Cleveland, Ohio, from the desk of our creative team. So if someone's expecting a guest, we warmly welcome them. If we're launching a new portal, we tell all of our employees. So the internal communication, we create the schedule. We collect data from everybody because obviously if, if there's a new product being launched, if there's something new that's happening, we need to know about it. But we put it on the schedule, we push it out, and we, and we keep everybody abreast. I mean, we're, we're so out there in pushing our messaging that just by walking around the halls of the office and reading the screens, you know what's going on globally. Amazing. Again, common sense, common action. Like, this is, this is incredible. Um, I want to take us down a kind of operational thinking. Also, I've been trying to simplify, simplify. Uh, when we think about the EX in light of, of CX, on one hand side, I think data is really important. Understanding the employee experience. And when I say data, you know, when I ask HR what data you're talking about, when I ask the CMO what data, all of it. What do we know? And then we'll figure out how to make that relevant, whether it's HR data, whether it's, uh, you know, your collaboration data, performance management data. And then on the other side, and, and I'll look for your comments on both dots, is the nudge. You and I briefly talked about that. How do we meet them where they are? Because the mindset right now is, you know, the attention span is incredibly low. So do you, do you, would you see those two dots? Would you see them differently in terms of the operational to go from data to nudge people in a direction that aligns to their organization while meeting them where they are? Well, I think you have to have the data. Um, and I'll tell you that we use something called a Glint survey globally to survey all of our employees. Um, what are your thoughts? What do you think of the CEO? What do you think of your boss? What do you think about communication? And we pour through that data. Every single team, every single leader goes through and reviews the data. And quite frankly, it's driven by HR. Um, and HR sets up the meetings. And we as a leadership team take all of that very, very seriously. And by the way, there are no surprises. Because we all know that if somebody wants a voice, all they have to do is to go to Glassdoor. So, I mean, I'm reading Glassdoor every week to see what people are saying. And then I snip it, copy it, and send it, literally, to the department head. And typically, they know exactly who made the comment. But that's important to me because it's a reflection on the brand. You know, people are always, in their glass door posts, talking about the benefits, the pros, and the cons, right? And so if someone is putting a negative in, we've got to make that right so that other people don't have that same experience. So it's continuous process improvement and using the data that you have to make those changes. And by the way, you have exit interviews, you have a glint survey, you have glass door surveys. Um, you can also look at some social posts, right? People are, what po people are posting on LinkedIn. I will say I do peruse, I see what everybody 
is writing on LinkedIn, and if someone goes rogue, I make a call. Makes sense from a data perspective. Let's talk channels. I love the idea you said that as you're walking through the hallways, even through seeing the screens, TV screens, you get an idea of what's happening in the organization. But when we think about all channels, obviously email, we know email is fading because it's annihilation in that email. Um, I've been thinking about as a channel where work gets done. Where do we spend the majority of our time? What channel has our eyeballs? It seems like we're either Microsoft Teams or we're Slack or maybe some other collaboration tool. Do you think that's a channel where the CMO needs to be? So we're, we're a, uh, a Microsoft organization and we use Teams and we use Teams um, all the time. And I use Teams like I'm walking down a hall. I'll call somebody because I think it's just even better to have a conversation. In fact, today, someone I never spoke to, um, I called. And I know that when they see my name pop up, some people are nervous and she didn't answer at first and then call back later. And she's probably trying to figure out why I was calling. And sometimes people know, for example, when I call, I'll say, hey, uh, Connor, do you know why I'm calling? And in this particular case, Connor said, I think, was it the LinkedIn post I made? And I said, yeah, it is. I'm the ultimate brand champion. And I just want you to know, I think we need to um, take that down because it's not a positive reflection of the brand. And people are very, you know, very cooperative, um, but that's what the ultimate brand champion needs to do to make sure that the brand is always in a positive light. I will say, I think that we in marketing can do more on teams. Um, we're not there yet, but as an organization, we are immersed in teams. When you say you're not there, I honestly, I, I, I don't think anyone is there yet because you're already you're the, sp uh, the you're the the spear, right? The, the what is that point? The point of the spear. I don't forget the expression. Tip of the spear. Yeah. Tip of the, you're the tip of the spear. You're right there. So if you're not, and then the partial the reason Microsoft Teams exploded over the last couple of years, right, two, three, four years. Prior to that, there wasn't as much work being done inside Microsoft Teams. So walk me through the, um, you know, it, once we get there, because we will. Will be inside Microsoft Teams. Are we looking for that touch point to be light? Are we looking to, you know, learning and development? And and if you said yes, to, we are now continuing the journey as a customer, the way we would with a customer. And there's retargeting or there's uh, certain campaigns that are being run. What is the future state in in kind of broad, broad uh, strokes? Well, I think that um, we could use Teams. <laughs> uh, to share more information. I mean, look, sometimes your documents won't go through on email. And so what winds up happening is, is that you use Teams to actually send large documents. And so that's already, that's already happening. Uh, <clears throat> do I think that we can embed in Teams and send alerts? Um, yes. Are we, are we there yet as an organization at Park Place Technologies? No. <clears throat> I need to learn more about Teams capabilities so we can start to push the envelope. But I do think it's a good idea. Yeah. Thinking about a future, I'm jumping around between present and best practices and future possibilities and what I'm learning from our technology and continued evolution to what Microsoft is doing uh, from an innovation, technology innovation perspective. Um, I want to go to a different place next and talk budgets just for a bit. 
right? Because when we we're going to consumers, the employee experience, there's a cost involved. And it's not a small cost, especially if it's a new capability for, for an organ- you mentioned there's certain full-time resources that are available for certain efforts on that front. So do we think that the CMO is going to ask for the budget? Is this a new budget being created? Is this a total budget reallocation being applied to take from somewhere else? Is this a CHRO budget or chief people? Like wh- where's the budget coming from and who would be championing um, getting the budget? So we've recently established a CX, um, a, a CX group. And I think that this CX budget, I know the CX budget is separate. Do I think it should be part of marketing? Yes. Do I think we should establish an EX budget, which is whole and separate, to demonstrate what we're spending on the initiative? The answer to that is yes. So. You know, I will say that the employee experience as it is today spans lots of different budgets. So, for example, at Park Place Technologies, we actually have a social budget. So we have events and parties and food trucks. And, you know, on St. Patrick's Day, everybody comes in and there's a gift on their desk. On Valentine's Day, everybody comes in and there's a gift on their desk. Well, who's paying for that? So right now, that's in in a group called the Social Circle and they're responsible for social initiatives. Do I think those social initiatives are part of the EX? The answer is yes, and they should be consistent, and they should be consistent globally, so that our culture cuts across. And anytime we acquire a new company, same thing, right? So if you're new to Park Place, you've just been acquired, you're getting a Valentine's Day present, you're having a social circle experience of a food truck pulling up so that on Tuesday everybody eats tacos, and all of that costs money. Um, I think that if we're talking about all the experiences, I think the future is that marketing does control that. And I think that marketing, essentially, the budget is segmented into CX, UX, EX, and PX. And I keep bringing up PX because we have a big channel business, and it's the partner experience. And we do have a separate budget in marketing for the partner experience and special initiatives to make sure that our partners have good experiences with us yeah. and deepen the relationships. And the fact that you're bringing them on the same level as you bring the customer, the employee, uh, shows how you value that stakeholder group in your world. Um, yeah, my, my mind next kind of goes into, you know, where should this or be initiated? Because um, I mean, you're most organi- you're an innovator, as we talked about, and, and you're part of, in my view, two and a half percent. You know, vast majority are probably either curious or, or not even close. Should the CMO initiate this conversation and go to the CHRO, the CEO? Should the CHRO, who's listening, or anyone involved in employee experience, go to the marketer and say, "Hey, um, what uh, what do you think about your your role? How could you, how could we work together? Is, if, if this is a new industry emerging." Who do we go after as our innovators? How do you think we, we can catalyze this industry? What would be our path forward? And I know it's a big question. You and I haven't discussed this. It's something I'm contemplating every night now. Right. So I think a lot of it will have to do with your existing relationships. So how is, what is your relationship like with your CHRO? You're, you're both on a leadership team. Do you, do you go to him or her and say, oh, you know, I've been thinking about this. This is you know, the future, this is the cutting edge, let's partner on it. Uh, or do you skip over the CHRO because you think they think you're gonna 
uh, abscond with some of their authority, their budget, etc. For me, um, I like to I I would go to the CHRO and share this and say, look, this is emerging. This is where I think it's going to be going. I think there's way more we can do, and quite frankly, the skill set resides in marketing, but let's do this together. But EX should be owned as a line item. It should be owned in marketing, and there should be a line item on the budget to fund EX and to make sure. I mean, I can tell you that one day we had an event, and someone in HR, it was bring your dog day to work, and she created some signage that was not in the brand template. Well, I went crazy. And I ran around the building and I took down the signs. And I said, you know, like, what were you, what were you thinking? I mean, I love Bring Your Dog to Work Day, and I think it's great, but we need to ensure that the message and the visual is consistent because we're a global organization. And the exact example I used was we're a global technology company, not an orthodontist office, right? So we have a brand that we spend a lot of money maintaining and protecting. There's a lot of money and time spent on trademarking and protecting, and not just in the United States, but we're in Brazil, we're in Mexico, etc. All of that time and energy to protect the brand, gotta take it seriously. So, you know, back to your initial question, I feel like I rambled a little bit, but I would go to the CHRO, make the case, go in and lockstep to the CEO. And I think when the case is made, the CEO should see the light. And, and what's different there with the CMO being involved and, and running point is that they understand how to explain the ROI. They understand the leading indicators. They understand the connection between impressions and call to actions and how to take that journey and make it really granular for how to understand the experience. Uh, because they've done that on the customer side and, and we know the kind of budgets that are available um, from a CMO perspective. Um, you know, you, we've talked about the path to purchase, right? Marketers understand the path to purchase. There is a path to employment. There is a path to retention. People don't stay magically. There's a reason people stay in an organization. And it's not, you know, it's not that it just happens that someone joined a company. There is a path to joining a company and a, having a successful candidate. And it's two ways. I mean, I've had people call me up and say, I don't think I fit in. Well, guess what? We've messed somebody up. You know, if we've relocated them from Pittsburgh to Cleveland and it wasn't a good fit, someone on our end made a mistake. And that's not fair. Because guess what? In the hotel industry, we used to call it the silent sufferer. The silent sufferer tells 20 people about the horrible experience they had with a brand. We don't want that. We want everyone to be a successful employee. We want to bring people on who are going to be successful and have long-lasting careers with us. It doesn't always happen, and that's okay. But for the most part, when people leave, they should think I had a fabulous experience at Park Place Technologies, and I would recommend it to anybody I know. It's kind of drop, dropping the mic. I think in a drawing the line, you know, the future of people initiatives, right, is about consumerizing the employee experience, and it's going to be done by the CMO for most organizations. And if it's a CHRO listening to this, um, there's so much in your world 
in your priorities. This is an entirely new market, an entirely new function that's being created. It's not taking away from you. It's adding to the organization and will have a clear ROI. Otherwise, you know, why are we focused on the customer experience? Why don't we just sell? Right? Because we understand there's an ROI in the experience. Um, Jennifer, I, you know, part of our conversation was you, know, you just inspired me. And it was your view of the market, the understanding of CX and EX, but also your, your personal, the way you think about your legacy. I mean, if you're open to it, I, I think it'd be great for you to share how you think about succession planning. How do you think about your own, your own legacy? <coughs> sure. Well, I will tell you the story that um, shortly before my 60th birthday, I went to my CHRO and said, so what do you think? I mean, I'm a... I'm going to be a 60-year-old chief marketing officer. Um, probably should think about how we, you know, move on. Should I be thinking about that? And he said, "No, you're you're vivacious. You're still adding value." And but I thought, you know, it, what's fair to the company is to actually have a succession plan. And so I put together a succession plan for me and for my team. And it was interesting because um, one of my team members said, well, Jennifer, what do you want your legacy to be? And I said, my legacy is going to be in 10 years when I'm reading the Wall Street Journal that I see that Park Place is a $10 billion company and that someone from the marketing team is the CEO, that someone from the marketing team is the head of operations, someone else from the marketing team is the SVP of product management, and so on. And that, to me, is the legacy. And that's why I think it's so important to career path and help people achieve you know, beyond, their, beyond their dreams. I mean, that, that's incredible. And, and, you, and you did mention one of the chief marketing leaders would be a CEO. You know, with what we're discussing right now, I was just thinking, I'm sorry, I went from, from that. It just triggered one more thought for me is, you know, if the more CMOs take on the customer, the employee experience side of things, um, the, mo the more value they're creating and there may be more CEOs coming from the marketing suite and, and you're inspiring that. Well, I, I think so. And look, I'm also someone who really believes in managing down as opposed to managing up. Because I think when you're supported by your team, you achieve more. Um, so for me, the strength of my team is 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 truly what's most rewarding for me. Amazing. Any any last thoughts, Jennifer? I, I could do this with you, as you can, as you know, for hours. I'll, I'll take all the available time you have and, and all the brilliance that you can share. Are there any last thoughts or, or questions, anything in your mind before we adjourn? And just be a huge thank you from me and, and the audience. You know, I'll tell you that um, uh, recently I've realized how important empathy is. And that's not something I think you would expect to hear from somebody like me who is very hard charging and has worked very hard their whole life. I mean, you know, if you take a look at my background, I went to Horace Mann <coughs> in the heyday of Horace Mann. I went to Columbia in the heyday of Columbia. Um, and so academically, I've always been very rigorous. I was a triple major in college, economics, psychology, and education. And then I was a, the first um, female four-year dual varsity athlete in the Ivy League. So to hear me say now that I'm 61 years old, that I think that empathy is important, 
um, I've, I've learned it later in life, and I have to say that I think um, empathy goes a long way. I think it's important, and I think that at any stage of your life when you learn it, um, it it's a good thing. Was there a moment? Was there something specific that happened? Was it a yeah. combination of experiences? Interestingly enough, I, I was diagnosed with lymphoma um, in Sorry. March 15th, uh, 2022, so almost a year ago. And in the last year, I have gone through an awful lot, surgery, chemo, etc. I will tell you that the day after chemo, I was running on the track with my son. And so I, I was one of the few people who actually um, went through chemo and um, didn't have horrible side effects. I think some of it was mental. I think some of it is physical because I've been physically active my whole life. But one of the guys on my team, Tony, said to me, because we have uh, one-on-one every week, as I do with all my direct reports, he said, Jennifer, he said, do you think that having cancer changed you? And I said, I do. And he said, how? I said, I think I'm more empathetic and I'm very glad that I am. That it was a lesson that I learned um, a little later in life. And I will say that I have been very outward in helping other people who have been recently diagnosed with cancer. I spend time on the phone, I help people. And actually, um, my big event was to ride 62 miles in the Pan, Pan Florida coming up uh, this Saturday. So I hope to be able to help people. Um, I, I can honestly say that I spent 60 years without any health problems whatsoever. Um, and I think a lot of it is, you know, that you know, God just decided to give it to me kind of all at once. And um, we'll get through this and come out of it stronger and better. Thank you for sharing. Sometimes the most important lessons in life come from really some of the most difficult situations or experience. Um, yeah, Jennifer again could do this all day, and and I hope we continue this and uh, continue thinking about the market and our collaboration. Just uh, on behalf of the audience and myself, thank you well, for thanks, for your thanks contribution. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Wonderful. Over and out.